0: You're listening to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, where you'll get proven strategies to start and grow your online business from in the trenches digital
1: entrepreneurs.
0: EntrepreneurIgnited.com. Launch your online business. Live your dreams.
1: Now, here's
0: your host, Derek Gale. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, a podcast designed to skip all the hype, skip all the BS, and bring you guys real actionable tips, strategies to help you start and grow your business on the internet. This is your host, Derek Gale, and in today's show, I'm going to be interviewing a really inspirational husband and wife team that, uh, I guess it was about just over four years ago, were working full-time as school teachers uh, and discovered the world of online business and digital products, and in the following four short years have transformed their lives by building some pretty incredible... Online businesses that have allowed them to uh, quit their jobs, reclaim the uh, the freedom everybody's looking for, and I'm going to guess make more money than they'd probably thought possible before they'd gone down this road. And so today, I want to explore this incredible transformation, uh, take a little look behind the scenes, and see if we can't reverse engineer some of the secrets to their success, so you can uh, have a little of that transformation in your life and business. So without further ado, I'm excited to welcome Shane and Jocelyn Sams to the show, guys. Thanks. So much for being here.
2: Hey, Derek! Thank you so much for having us today.
0: What's going on, man? Thanks for having us on the show. Awesome. Now, guys, before we get into this, you know, let's let's start with your your journey. I don't know who who wants to field this, or you guys want to sort of tag team this one, but you know, walk me through, you know, the the your journey. You know, how did you go from uh, school teacher to to digital business? Walk us through the journey that brings us to this interview here today. Give us the the, the overview.
1: Well, uh, it happened. 2012 was it, Josslyn? Yep, like yeah, 2012. Uh, and 2012, we were both school teachers. I was a history teacher, and I was uh, coaching football. And uh, Josslyn was an elementary school librarian. We had two very small children, uh, uh, babies basically. And uh, what happened was we 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 had some very negative experiences in the workplace. And some people can probably relate to this. We had, you know, I lost a job. Uh, schools consolidated. We had to move across the state to go somewhere else. That was a couple years before this. Then in 2012, um, there was a really negative experience where uh, my son had uh, something happen to him and I had to basically leave work. I had to go right then and there. And I had a assistant principal who was in that day that was very mean to me, very harsh, and uh, didn't want me to leave and basically told me that uh, I would have consequences if I went to take care of my son. And I kind of realized at that time that we had given a lot of control of our life over to employers, over to systems that we couldn't have control over. Um, so I started looking for you know, something different to do. And uh, one summer, uh, the summer of 2012, I was out mowing my grass and uh, I just I, I got sick of the music, man, that I was listening to on my podcast. And I said, I'm going to find something in iTunes related to business because surely I can make money doing something else than teaching. Well, I started downloading uh, just a couple random podcasts and I stumbled across uh, the Smart Passive Income podcast with Pat Flynn. And on this, this was before Pat blew up. You know, it's kind of a it was only like his 30 or 40th episode. And he was talking in that episode about selling digital products online. He was he was basically selling a study guide for some kind of test, like an architecture test. Yep. And and people were sending him money and he was emailing it to them. And I was like, what people are paying you to email them something? And, man, I hit the brakes right then and there, and I ran inside. And I, true I, story. I, true story. Left my lawnmower just sitting there right in the middle of a, a lawn, big track, and I busted through the door, and Jocelyn was over by the stove cooking uh, lunch or doing something. I said, Jocelyn, I figured it out. I know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to quit our jobs, and and we're going to sell emails. People are going to send us money to email them stuff. <laughs> So, so you know, so it Jocelyn was, looked at me kind of like
2: crazy at that point. Yeah, you know, it's a little far-fetched to me. I mean, I really didn't know that this world existed, I guess. Uh-huh. And so I was kind of like, yeah, I don't really know about that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, and it's, what was funny about this was, like, I always used to, when Jocelyn and I dated back in college, this was like, two, you know, 99, 2000-ish. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I used to, we used to drive, uh, we had this long drive back to her mom and dad's house on the other side of the state of Kentucky where we we went to U.K., Uh, In Lexington, and uh, I said I would always say, "Man, wouldn't it be cool if you could just like get like a hundred people to give you a hundred dollars? I mean, you you'd make like ten grand a month if you could just get people to give you a hundred dollars, you know?" And
2: I'm Uh, like, "Yeah, that can't happen."
1: Yeah, I'm like, "Surely there's a hundred people on the earth that will just send me a hundred bucks, you know?" And uh, but then when I heard that story and I discovered this how technology literally allows you to do that—they send you money, you send them something back. That I, when I heard that on that podcast, Derek, I said that's how I'm going to get a hundred people to send me a hundred bucks. You know what I mean? Yep. So, and that's that's kind of what started the exploration and all this madness that followed. <laughs> So, okay, so so let's dive in then. So let's
0: talk about that first business. Um, you know, I mean, because I know a lot of our listeners are in that that startup phase. or They are the guy right now pushing the lawnmower, right? Um, right. Thinking, God, how do I get, get rid of this job? But the, the question is, is what do I sell, right? Like where, you know, I've got most people look at themselves and go, yeah, I hear this digital, you know, information product, stuff like that. But what do I sell? What do I know? How, how, how did you guys come up with this idea? Or your ideas, and what were those ideas?
1: Well, let me let me preface this by the, by the fact that it was not the first business; it was not the first idea. I probably tried twenty different things over the first four or five months, and did not uh, get a lot of traction. And all along, you know, Jocelyn was sitting there going.
2: This so, is never gonna work. I told you
1: so, you know, this is crazy. <laughs> what are you doing? You're wasting so much time. And then I started selling stuff, and she looked at me like, "Why are you? What are you doing?" We one, that was a thing we liked, you know.
2: Yeah, we started selling like our possessions because we needed money. I needed too. money to
1: like buy right. domain hosting and yeah. all this yeah. stuff. And uh, Justin's like, "This is this is crazy." And uh, what there's a funny story that that really made us turn the corner, and I think this is will help anybody out there that is doing this and struggling and can't figure this out. Um, you know, my first thing you do like everybody else is you try affiliate links, you try Google ads, you try anything you can do to make any money, right? Nothing worked. Um, tried some digital product stuff, but I was using them more for opt-ins, you know, yeah, that kind of got a couple emails here and there, but you know, it did, it was Lo and behold, it wasn't like the guru said, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. So shocking. (laughs) So basically what happened was one night I was laying in bed and I was literally about to give up. I, I just, Jocelyn was, convinced it was over. I was looking at my Google analytics and my AdWords and my AdSense and my Amazon account. And I was like, this just doesn't work. Like these people are liars. Like I cannot send things out and people give me money back. So I had made up my mind right then and there that tomorrow this was over and I was going to try to find something else. And it was right after midnight, Jocelyn was laying beside me reading a book. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to check one more time. And I I literally hit refresh from the last time I checked it whenever earlier in the night and right in front of me was the greatest thing I'd ever saw in my life. Someone had clicked an ad on a blog post I had written and we had earned 11 cents.
2: One dime, one penny. One
1: dime, one penny. (laughs) And I tears welled in my eyes and I jumped out of bed, almost broke my laptop and, I, and, and I'm and i celebrating like Super Bowl. We got the touchdown. It's over. We just won the game in overtime. And like, Joss is like, what are you doing? And I looked at, and I flipped the computer around. And I said, there it is. It works. It works. There's 11 cents. <laughs> you can actually send out information and someone will give you money back. And I think that's, really when we turned the
2: corner yeah and so you know like by that point I was kind of starting to be a little more convinced you know over 11 cents but it kind of just opened my eyes and I'm like okay you know if he can do this well maybe I can do something too and we can make this work so you know at the time we weren't thinking like quit our jobs or anything like that it was more just like let's make some extra money
1: so basically what happened then was Jocelyn kind of got on because we, 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 we kind of did the math on our head. If one person will click an ad and give you 11 cents, well, what if a million people click the ad mm-hmm. or or if you're what if you're selling something that costs fifty dollars and you can go get 200 people to click the ad and buy it? That's when we started saying there's there's three or four billion people on the Internet today, three or four more billion going to come on in the next few years. How can we get a piece of the pie? So Jocelyn jumped in. And she kind of took every failure, every lesson, everything that we had learned at that point, and she started uh, elementarylibrarian.com.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the reason that I wanted to do elementary librarian, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Derek, about how people don't know what they're going to sell. Well, the the way that I decided what I wanted to sell is I'm a very practical person. So I didn't want to spend a lot of my own time developing things that may or may not sell. So what I decided to do was to create something that I already needed in my everyday life. And that was to create library lesson plans. And that's how I started elementarylibrarian.com, And that's how I started selling products on there.
1: So basically, we decided, you know, we couldn't just sell lesson plans because you can get stuff like that. We had to have something that was different. So Jocelyn created a personal brand. She was the elementary librarian. Um, We started promoting this on social media. And we decided that that we didn't want to just sell people stuff. We wanted to sell them like time. So how could we save a librarian the most time? Easy. What if they never had to create a lesson again? Jocelyn was a trained librarian. She had been doing it for a few years. And she made 185 lessons every day of the year. Literally put your classroom on autopilot. And people responded like crazy to it. And, uh, you know, they came in, they they joined her community, they started buying those lesson plans, and it just absolutely exploded. And we think that the reason that it did that was because we kind of didn't listen to the gurus. We didn't say, follow your passions and your dreams and all the things that will follow. We made a bunch of mistakes, threw a bunch (laughs) of mud on the wall, and something happened, we did it. But we focused on our expertise. We focused on what we knew, and then we figured out how to cure symptoms for people. What was the pain point that we could solve with that expertise? Um, when Jocelyn's thing took off, I realized, hey, I'm a football coach. People want to win football games. So I made a playbook. Football was a love of mine, but it wasn't like my ultimate passion. If it was my ultimate passion, I'd be, you know, like, hey, I'm gonna go review beaches. I mean, yeah. come on, you, can't you know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? Yeah. So, like, so we we picked things that we knew that we were experts at, that we had a lot of experience in. And that's what made us successful, and we've been doing that ever since.
0: And so, uh, that that was an amazing story. And there's a couple couple two two things I want to drill down and really just highlight for the audience. There, um, I mean, there was a profound marketing lesson in there uh, when you talked about creating lesson plans for librarians. And uh, what you said there, though, is is you, well let me let me phrase that you didn't sell lesson plans you sold them time as you said exactly and, and, and that that's such a shift for people to realize when you're selling that you're not selling the product it's not about the lesson plans it's about the outcome the lesson plans are creating for that person that the freedom it's giving them the time it's giving them back that's the selling point there which is which was such a smart way to go about that it's like what's the key problem you know how can you really help them uh, which is which is amazing see most people I think would create the lesson plans and I think would then sell the lesson plans on the virtues of the lesson plans, right? Like these exactly. are the best lesson plans are better than those lesson plans. Your students will learn more when in reality, the real hot
1: button is time. Yeah, I, I'm I'm working on lesson plans from three o'clock till six and I don't see my kids. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And,
2: you know, there are there are great things about the lesson plans. They are all um AASL and Common Core Standards, you know, they have all of those in them. They are great lesson plans, but I concentrated first on what is that pain point.
1: That's how we market things is, you know, we've learned over the last four years, some valuable lessons in marketing too. And we've kind of realized that really there's only two things that you can kind of sell to people. Like you're going to help them either make more money or save time and give them more freedom in their life back. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's even like, if you're selling aspirin, Well, the person wants the headache to go away so they can enjoy their life. It's not just because the pain hurts. That's just the symptom. It's the result of my life is being impacted, my time is short, and I'm not experiencing it. That's the problem. So if you can think of your business like that, it's a lot easier to create those results and market those results Yes, and let your product take care of the symptoms.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And now the other thing I want to point out because I, we're so in alignment on this one and, and I'm here. It's interesting because I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on this podcast. I'm hearing more and more entrepreneurs say this is it's not about following your passion and uh, you know it and you know I, I always go on a bit of a rant here because I've got a I've got a bit of a beef with this whole um, Oh, I don't want to call it, you know, did you guys ever read The Secret or the, that whole book? I've heard about it. Okay, so I mean, it's it. that whole you know, follow your dreams, follow your passions. You know, we're telling all of our our kids that are growing up that just do what you're passionate about, right? And uh, and I think that's so misleading because, as you said, if you're passionate about going to the beach, that may be hard to monetize, right? What if What if I'm really passionate about trying
1: cotton candy? Yeah, right. Uh, like you know <laughs> what I mean? Like what if like, I love cotton candy and I just want I want to try everybody's cotton candy? I mean, you might be able to vlog about that, but I don't know. That just seems like it'd be tough to make a living.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. That's gonna be a stretch, right? That's going to be a stretch. So, so you know, sometimes it's not about what you're passionate about, but look, you know, I, and I've always said to people, like, I'm like, are you passionate about having more time, money, and freedom? Well, yeah. Well, then find something that can give you that, right? And, uh... And, and do it. And the outcome is that. But yeah, so I I love that. I love it when I talk to entrepreneurs that are sort of pragmatic, practical, that have been through the been through the trenches and say, no, 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 no. It's not about your passion necessarily. I mean, great. If it can be awesome, but it doesn't yeah, necessarily.
2: You know what? I think that it can eventually be. There's a saying that you hear all the time that says you do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do and that's exactly what we did did i want to create lesson plans for the rest of my life not necessarily but doing that gave me the opportunity to now do what we do in flip lifestyle and that is help other entrepreneurs to start and grow their own online businesses
1: yeah and i and we've even got some side projects like for example like i'm a i love pro wrestling i am a the biggest i'm just like a big kid like the, wwe Oh yeah, man! I just went to WrestleMania <laughs> sweet, back in March. Sweet. I just, uh, I just, I just went to SummerSlam. Like that's what—that's my thing now. Like uh, WrestleMania tickets go on sale tomorrow, and I'm sitting here like bouncing up and down. <laughs> Disclaimer: anyway, It is
2: not my thing. It is not
1: Jocelyn's thing, right? Fair enough. <laughs> but I am taking her to WrestleMania because it's in Florida, and we're going to stay at Disney World for the rest of the week. Well, there you but go. Whatever. Yeah, there you go. But like, I got a buddy of mine who's also in online marketing, and we're started. We started a wrestling podcast, and we're going to, you know, we'll try to monetize. Sure. It. Like, I am going to try to have fun now, but it's because we started websites around playbooks and U.S. history teacher lesson plans and elementary library lesson plans and, uh, you know, even Flip Lifestyle, all these other things have given us the time and the freedom. And we've, we've got a team that can edit and do all these things for us now. So we get to do our passions now. yeah But most of the gurus are like, yeah, start over here. And that's just a rabbit hole that doesn't materialize for 90% of the people that follow that path. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, uh, okay, so now... <sighs> Let's, let's talk, about, um, talk about audience building, okay? So you're obviously working with entrepreneurs, and, and as you said, you know, there's all these rabbit holes people are sent down, they go to this guru, to that guru, they say, do this, do this, do this. Uh, when you're working with somebody and they launch a product, um, they come up with their, their idea, their digital product, how are you coaching people to get in front of their audiences?
1: What are you recommending today? The, the big thing that we – the first thing that we tell everybody is you're going to get a lot of no sugar-coated advice from us. You know what I'm saying? Like we're going to get real with you. We're not going to say that this isn't Field of Dreams. Kevin Costner is nowhere around uh, as a <laughs> partner in our online business. You know what I mean? Yep. So here's, here's the basic crux of it all. It goes back to the same thing you sell. The only way to make it in today's online market is you either are going to spend a lot of time or you're going to spend money. So we believe in organic – plans. We believe that you do need a a strategy. We believe that you do have to write content that people are actually looking for. You need to research that and see what is happening in Google, what is happening in the search engines. And you do need a great content plan. Okay. It doesn't matter the medium. You can podcast, you can blog, you can do video, but you need to be targeting things that your perfect customer avatar are actually in the market looking for. We don't ever want you to educate people that they need this thing. They already need it. And you just have to show that to them. Okay, But we actually really focus on ads in our, uh, in, with all of our customers because we believe it's so easy now to just go spend some money, give yourself a boost, ramp your success forward six months to a year by figuring out how to market in Facebook, in uh, any social media network that you're using, on Google, in the search engines. Uh, We focus a lot on that because we think it's easier to buy attention than it is to organically uh, just go get it. It's going to be hard sometimes to just throw stuff out there and hope people find it Mm -hmm. when when you can easily 100% in a measurable way go buy traffic.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. I I and again we're in alignment and how I I teach as well is look you need an organic strategy, you need to push good content out there, but you can't. Well, look, organics free, right? And we we, right. we don't we don't control what's free. Things can change too rapidly. So if you want to grow reliably and scalably, you need to find uh, quality sources of traffic that you can can buy uh, reliably and, and convert into, into customers. And I, you know, I look at it and I think um, part, part of the problem is, is there's too many, uh, let's, let's let's say the guru space where they see these people that, you know, started a podcast and it just went, you know, bananas like EO fire. Right. I mean, he, right. yeah, you know, John Lee really drove that, uh, the podcasting and, and, and he was sort of one of the f- pioneers in the business world of that. And so everybody looks at it and goes, wow, he's got, you know, 800,000 listeners per episode and then doesn't
1: pay a penny for that. Right and yeah, but that's a different space, a different time. Like John's, yeah, a, it started yeah. at a
2: different time, and you know, I'll argue that a, a lot because several years ago, things were a lot different than they are now. And we t- yeah. and
1: we know John and Kate, and they're amazing people, the hardest working people you'll ever find. Yeah, but they'll they'll be the first to admit that yeah, you have to do this to have a chance to succeed, but don't try to copy exactly what they did because it's not. I mean, and even they will tell you now that the way they market is different than the way they used to. Exactly, and I guess that's the that's the point I'm driving home here is
0: is you look at these gurus that that rode a, a wave. There was a, an event or an opportunity that allowed them to create massive momentum very quickly, organically. Um, and you can wait for those waves and try and identify them, but they don't always show
1: up, and uh, that's why. I I actually say this, too, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but I had a, I got another saying too, like, like, why would I wait two years to build an audience when I can target any audience I want on Facebook? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense to me anymore to do that, and I know that money can be a problem, but like, the problem with most entrepreneurs, for all the startup people listening, and, and this is something, another hard lesson that gets told very fast in our uh, uh, membership community, is you're not spending money, you're investing money. And if yes. you're not, if you don't have the guts to bet on yourself, I can probably predict that you're not going to make it anyway. And yes, you are going to lose money in the first month or two you're running ads. You are not going to find an ad more than likely that's going to perfectly convert exactly like you want it to, where you can predict it and, and repeat it reliably until you experiment and figure it out. But two months is better than two years. So go invest in yourself, bet on yourself and you got a chance to actually make it.
0: Yeah, and 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 I completely agree with that. And I think there's a there's also a shift that has to happen because one of the big questions I get all the time is, you know, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do paid advertising. I'm gonna go out there and advertise on Facebook. How much should my budget be, right? And trying to get people to understand that we're not. Um, I mean, effectively, we're doing direct response marketing, right? If we're gonna spend a dollar, we want to know that we're gonna make a measurable return. Let's just say in the next. Uh, fourteen to thirty days. So if we spend a dollar, hopefully that's going to return two, right? And so trying to get people to understand that we're not Nike, we're not Coca Cola, we're not spending ten thousand dollars a month just so people remember us. Um, we're spending money to generate an almost instantaneous return. If we can self-liquidate and break even, great. Um, but we need to be seeing profit on our ad spend, sort of let's say fourteen to thirty days out. And if that's the case all of a sudden budget is meaningless. It's as much as we can spend to get that traffic in. And I think that's a real shift that people are having to make in how they think about advertising because all the people from the traditional advertising space are saying, well, how much should I have to budget for my ads? And I'm like, no, that's not it, right? Find yep. a source that converts profitly and, and there is no budget, right? Exactly. Uh, and we,
1: we do that in a couple of different ways. Like uh, Jocelyn does all of our training on Facebook. So I'll let you tell her how we kind of look at different ad spins." Um, But the one overlying principle kind of for us is, you know, we use the membership model. We believe in recurring revenue streams. We believe uh, we don't we don't really sell one off products anymore. We either sell monthly memberships or you buy annually. Okay. Yeah. And one thing about ads that we look at it a little different is this. Like, let's say let's say that I get uh, let's say I spend one hundred dollars. Okay. And let's say I've got one hundred bucks a month. Uh, or that I'm spending, or my membership is a hundred bucks a month, whatever round numbers. I mean, I'm from Kentucky. We don't do math real good. So, but like, but let's say you got, you got, I'm going to spend a hundred and I'm going to, uh, you know, try to get one member that pays me a hundred bucks a month. Now let's say I go a whole month and spend my hundred bucks on my ad spend and I don't get a member, but the second month I do. And I'm just using this for easy situation. So somewhat, a lot of people will look at it like, ha. You spent two hundred dollars to get one hundred dollars sale, and I'm like, but there's there's a catch to that. When you create a customer, they usually buy more stuff from you, and our members actually stay an average of about eight months. So that one client that I got out of my two hundred dollar ad spend may have only gave me a hundred bucks uh, the first month, but on average they're going to stay eight months. So I'm going to make eight hundred over the long term from that person. And there's so many more things that go into your ads than, whoops, I lost a hundred bucks. And that people don't uh, really get that, but Jocelyn actually handles most of the ad strategy for us so and and everything you said there,
0: I mean it's 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 so true. Um, getting people to shift how they think though is is from traditional business to how we do this with the recurring with lifetime value. I mean, lifetime value, so many businesses and new entrepreneurs, they start off just purely focusing on uh, on the initial transaction, right? I want to get the sale. And if it's not profitable, that I call it's not going to work. Right. But that's well, such a, a shift when you realize that it's about the lifetime spend with them. And, you know, one of the challenges I'm seeing right now is we've got this world of, of the, amazon business models you know everybody's out there pitching the source products from china sell them on amazon uh sell them on ebay you know plug in they they, you know it's it's already pre-selling for you right and uh, i mean i look at that and i just shake my head and go wow what a painful business because it is transaction driven you don't get any customer data you can't follow up with these people um it's just not the business that strikes me as uh building a
1: real long-term asset uh, and also, too, like there's sometimes you spend ad on, you know, different kinds of ads that you don't expect an immediate return from. Like Jocelyn does uh, a cold, warm and hot ad strategy. Jocelyn, yeah, so, tell me about that a little bit.
2: You know, we we target people for various things. So we target them to get them to come to our website with the intent of capturing them with a pixel. Um, once they've been to our website and get familiar with us, we want to make them into um, You know, somebody on our email list, so we'll show them an ad to get them to opt in for something. And then we place our attention more on selling. So that's a whole other uh, part of the budgeting is that, you know, you've got to put some money into cold, some money into warm and some money into hot advertising. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people don't really understand that. They think they're just constantly trying to sell people things. But if you're showing people who have never heard of you an ad to buy something, it's probably not going to convert very well.
1: Yeah. And also, too, there's friction involved, like in our strategies, like, When Jocelyn uh, sets up our cold ad modules, like she's like, all you want them to do is land on your page here. This is just free stuff, you know, and you can pixel them. You don't even have to get an email anymore. You can you can show you pixel them with a a Facebook or a Google you know pixel and you show them ads later because they came to your site. Then you try to get email so you can really market to them. And then once you see people that are engaged, you can actually send a hot ad. Like, for example, um, this is being recorded uh, right before Black Friday. We had a Black Friday special on our podcast last week, okay? Um, So I sent, I wanted to make sure that all the people that were we considered hot, which is people who are on our email list and have been opening emails, right? I wanted to make sure that they're going to see the right thing. So I sent an email today because I want them to click to a page so I can pixel them. And I'm going to show them an ad next week for our Black Friday special. But within one minute of sending that email, we had like hundreds of opens, yeah. Because I, kn- I know when I put the money or the time into that specific group of our people, it's going to get a return because we've done the work. We've, quote unquote, wasted money <laughs> on all those cold and warm p- parts of the ad funnel yeah. to get to the hot part. Right, right. So now with your Facebook right now, because it sounds
0: like it sounds like it's it sounds like, is Facebook, your primary channel at this point.
2: Yeah, right now. That's what we're. Spending most of our money and energy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, I think that's that's true for uh, especially in the digital information information space. I think Facebook is the still the king for uh, especially for buying traffic right now. So, looking at these different strategies, um, is your primary if, if you had to sort of gauge it, is your primary stat strategy uh, driving to content pixeling, then driving to opt in, or yes. Uh, yes, okay, so you see so yeah. pretty much. Are, are you doing any more straight-to-opt-in uh, pages?
2: Um, I do sometimes, especially on Elementary Librarian. I have um, a series of automated webinars for various topics that are of interest to elementary librarians. And sometimes I will do cold traffic to those. And I've had um, decent success with that. Um, not as much, I find, as I do with the retargeted audience.
1: Yeah, we like to – what we usually – flip style. for example, like what we do is we send – I just run ads to our podcast. Because if yep. you listen to my pod, our podcast, you're eventually going to get on our email list and you're eventually going to become a member. And then we work hard on, we're not really selling the, you know, give us your email on those cold ads, mm-hmm. but, but the pages are definitely optimized to try to get an email. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So like we still collect emails through those cold ads, but I just don't want friction when people discover us. I want you to come and get a free podcast and it's just great and you subscribe and you stick around for a while. And, you know, see what we're about. Sure. And then when we show you our next email that says, hey, get our free guide to setting up your, you know, Black Friday sale or whatever, it's going to be a lot easier for you to just, oh, cool. Like the last thing I got was great. I'll go give them my email now. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: So now uh, question for you. And I know lots of people kind of. Once they see these multi-step strategies, right? So we're spending money on retargeting, then we're spending money on, uh, or so we're spending money on on getting the pixel, uh, building our custom audience. Then we're spending money on retargeting. How effectively are you able to track back your your spend to the actual outcomes to the results? Pretty easily
1: because we don't we don't totally rely on the pixels like in Facebook and play things like that. Like we have everything set up where Facebook helps us track, but. We create layers in our tracking, like we use the tools like lead pages, which you can set up custom thank you pages that will help you track. So you can kind of compare, you know, Mm -hmm. different things from different places where you're pixeling people. But also, too, when you create these layers, you're still going to create it in a linear way. Like I'm strategically going to say this podcast was really good. So it's going to start a funnel. So it's going to get a cold ad. But I'm going to go change that whole page and remove it basically from the rest of the blog structure, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's going to be an opt-in related to that. And the people that looked at that podcast should see the opt-in that kind of is related to it, so they go to that page. And there's really no way to... And then you can create multiple sales pages, like, at the end. So, like, we might have a sales page that says Facebook. We could have the exact same sales page uh, that's copied, but it says Google. Mm -hmm. So maybe the only way from the Facebook free thing to the Facebook opt-in, the only way they could ever get to the final point in that funnel is a page that we've actually created that's only that product. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And
2: it sounds a little crazy, but like, I mean, they're pretty easy to duplicate and I just don't trust the numbers entirely uh, because from, like, I've seen pixels. that they usually don't match up. So yeah, um, yeah. the only way to mo- know for sure is if you make a complete new funnel and it'll be, you know, relatively Right.
1: We like to say that our business, like, like, like just take Flip Lifestyle, for example. Our business is like downtown, okay? Mm-hmm. We want everybody to come to Main Street, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a lot of different roads to lead to Main Street, but we don't want to look like an old city where roads were just built randomly. We want to create new straight roads that go to downtown. So if we're going to create a sales funnel and we're going to have cold, warm, and hot ads leading to it, then everything to the point of getting downtown is going to be its own thing, self-contained. And when we spend money in that on that road, mm-hmm. we know where they're going down that road. And we can track that. And we, and the only way you can possibly do that is to keep everything in-house and have an actual sales page at the end, we think, from that funnel. And then the pixels and stuff help you with more analytics. And But if something looks wonky, we always have a backup that we can go say, no, these hundred people bought from this exact order form. Yeah. So by gosh, the only way to get to that order form are, is that ad sequence we set up.
0: Got it, got it. Um, okay, so now in the, in the same vein here of Facebook, I got a question for you. It sounds like you're doing a lot right now. Now this is, you know, I enjoy one of the reasons I love the podcast is I get to talk to all sorts of entrepreneurs and get their take on things. And now one of the one of the common themes I've heard from a few different entrepreneurs now that are doing a lot of Facebook stuff, uh, which doesn't necessarily reflect my result, but their results is is they they they're with their targeting. They're saying. Um, If you're using Google's algorithm to create, say, lookalike audiences, uh, that's not getting them a great result, whereas uh targeting people based on um specific things that they have liked right uh right. you know or, or they're part of because you know if they liked x or y or whatever they are uh, they're definitely interested in that so when you guys are doing your targeting to get the to the to, i guess the cold leads right those ones that you're just going to drive to the low friction content where do you find your best results for targeting
2: yeah, I, I think that um, personally, I found I have more success with the groups and the associations and the various pages.
1: Yeah, uh, than like than that I we do. strategically target basically. Yeah,
2: from the lookalike audience, I have had some success with lookalike audiences, but the problem for me is just that. I think it's a little too broad. Like they give you so many people, and um, you know, elementary librarians. I estimate there are approximately one hundred thousand in the United States, just a rough estimate yep. based on the number of elementary schools. Um, so they, uh, Facebook will give me a lookalike audience of like one point one million or something. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, so I really don't like it for yeah. that. Uh, for that product and you know that group of people because I feel like it's too broad
1: yeah Yeah. if you're gonna if if you're gonna create broad lists like we like to like target the big groups and then we will send our cold ads and let them filter their self by saying yes I actually am in your audience I mean you do have to go broad but I just trust us more than I do the algorithm in some cases now does that mean you can't do it no I think listen some niche. It might be perfect. It might actually work perfectly for some people. And it's the same thing with everything. Like uh, take our like my U.S. history site. I don't show Facebook ads for it because what I find is that history teachers go to Google when they need something. Mm. When they're on Facebook, they don't give a crap about anything else but looking at scores and arguing about elections and whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. They want they want they don't want to see ads for that there. But when they need something for tomorrow because they didn't make a lesson plan because they went out of town on this weekend. They're going to go to Google so I can show ads there and kind of skip the cold ad part and just go straight to warm in that particular thing. It's the same thing on Facebook. There's probably businesses where lookalike audiences work like gangbusters. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's just one of those things. You have to not trust what anybody says. Take everything as it's a as a practice that worked for someone and test it in your own space And you have to trial and error and figure it out, which which actually brings me to another point. That's the biggest mistake all of our students always make with ads is they turn them on for a week and they turn it off and then they try to look like audience and then they try to turn it off. And like, that's not how it works. Like the day you start your first ad, you might turn that ad off, but it's only because you're replacing it with the next thing you're testing. You've got to keep refining and keep it going forever if you're ever going to improve it for your business.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. And and I, I think back to that whole lookalike, uh, the algorithmic audiences, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head, for some it'll work. And I think it's for people that are in a more, they have a, a more general product or a, not as, you know, for example, librarians. I think, Jocelyn, what you said there, it, that it's a very easy to figure out when you're in the smaller niches, like librarians in the US,
1: <laughs> as you said, if the lookalikes if One I'm could... Pepsi, I'm targeting Coke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm targeting people that like, I'm going to get a lookalike audience for people who like Pepsi because they probably like RC. Yeah. You know what I mean? They like something else. I'm trying to steal people there. Yeah, you know exactly. What I mean? Exactly. So
0: it, it has its place. And, uh, okay, so now as we're, um, uh, as we're, I've got two more questions for you uh, as we're coming to the end here. And uh, so they're both, well, this one's a little bit uh, a big question. So you guys started your business four or five years ago, uh, you guys have seen a lot of success very quickly. And uh, now it's awesome. You guys are helping empower other people to do the same on Flipped Lifestyle. Uh, and I'm I'm probably pretty sure it's safe to say that there was a bit of a, a learning curve that you've acquired over the the last uh, few years, some new skill sets that did not exist as teachers. Uh, so, yeah, you know, here, sure. here here's the question. If you were talking to one of your past co-workers and they asked you, okay, you know, I want to do this... Uh, online thing. I, w- I want to follow in your footsteps. What would you tell them uh, if they ask, what are the most important things or skills I need to know to be successful online? What would you tell them?
2: Oh, goodness. We actually get this question fairly often. because. Me, me too. <laughs> yeah. We, we live in a really small town. And of course, everybody knew what happened when we quit our jobs because it was in I mean, Forbes
1: but, and Business Insider. And, but yeah, people just, just don't them,
2: do that yeah. here. Yeah, right. And, you know, we left school a month in, actually two months into the school year, which is just unheard of. So, yeah, you know, we do get this question a lot. And I would say that, you know, it sounds kind of crazy, but like probably the most important thing, the most important skill that I think you need to have to start a business would be time management. Um, so many people get this wrong. You just you know, you start working on something, life gets in the way and you just let it go. And for us, like we were so busy at the time we started our business, we had no choice but to be so tight with our time and like really schedule everything. And I think that that alone has really helped us out a lot like moving forward.
1: Yeah, we actually like, I mean, I'm sure we broke some eggs, you know, to make the cake kind of deal when we did this. But like we turned off voicemail on our phones. Uh, We stopped answering everybody's calls. We we would meet every Sunday, Jocelyn and I would. The first time we ever did it, we were sitting in a Mexican restaurant and I mean, we, we had this big, uh, you know those pieces of paper that have like columns that you can like column pads, like accountants use? Yep. We like bought a giant pad of those, flipped it over to the back because it was the biggest piece of paper we could find and we drew 168 squares on the back of that paper and we said, all these people are successful. All these people that we see that are doing this and are succeeding have 168 hours in a week what are we doing with our 168 hours that's preventing us from succeeding? And we put the non-negotiables on first, like sleeping. We had Being to go to, work, work, go to work. Yeah. You know, feeding children. that You, you got to do that. It's the law. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, we put everything we had to do, and then we said, well, what are we doing these other hours? And we realized that we were wasting time. Uh, people were demanding our attention that didn't need it. I mean, we had to cut some things out and sacrifice uh, even relationships to be able to have that time. To make it happen, and that's kind of what we've done this whole the whole last four years is what is actually going to move the needle in our time. If you can figure that out, it's a lot easier to figure out where to get the money because mm-hmm. you've got this. You've got time freed up. You can go get the money. To
2: money do it. is replaceable. Time is not. Yeah. So that is what is just so important is a major driver in even what we do today.
1: Yeah, we we right now we're actually implementing a thing we're, we're calling a hundred days ahead, and we are we are actually going to forfeit the next hundred days uh, in planning and we're gonna act like, well what if today was actually a hundred days? What would I work on if, if I had to do something for tomorrow for what was happening a hundred days from now? And we're actually gonna try to take a few months and slide our entire business a hundred days ahead Ooh, so that when we wake yeah, so that we when we wake up, we have invested a hundred days ahead into our business. Yeah. So there can never be surprises. There can never be a problem. There can never be a pivot that we need to make that we don't have time to do it. That's how critical we think that time is to everything. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, y- you know, and I, it's, what you just said there,
0: I I totally agree with. And I think a lot of the people that were listening are probably thinking, well, I thought they were going to say it was, you know, websites <laughs> or traffic or, or... Get your
1: WordPress <laughs> hosting here, you know? Yeah, ex-
0: exactly. Totally. That's totally what we're expecting. And and I love your answer because I know it's the truth because I see it with the entrepreneurs I'm working with, people that are just getting started, Um because you got to do, you know, it's called the side hustle, right? You know, and, and we have such limited amounts of time. And I think one of the, one of the words that people have to master is no, and learning, learning how to say, no, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do this. And, and taking that attention away from the, you know, the people, the stuff that is
1: demanding attention, it's the only way it's going to work. Right. Um, And I think we have another principle too, to go just a little bit deeper for everybody listening. Like, Because a lot of people will be like, well, okay, fine. I manage my time, you know, but like really every business, if you look at it, comes down to one thing. Do you have a customer who actually has a problem that you can actually solve? Like sometimes it frustrates me when people come in and they're like, I'm going to start a website to show people how to live better. What the, what the, what what heck does the hell does that, that mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like, like, like you, yeah. you have to have. We always say it's the difference in selling aspirin or vitamins. Like, if you people will, if I'm, if it's midnight and I wake up with a headache and I go to the medicine cabinet, and I and I and I can't find aspirin, and I'm my head's hurting so bad that I can't sleep. Guess what I'm doing? I'm getting in a car. I'm going somewhere to someone that is selling aspirin 24 hours, and I'm buying it. You know, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I go, God, I forgot my B12. Oh, man, I forgot that vitamin. You know, that that vitamins feel good. They kind of sound good. Like, hey, be healthy. Take your vitamins. But you know what I'm going to do? I'll catch them next time I'm at the store. So make sure that you're looking for a problem that you can solve with your experience and expertise. Make sure that you're looking for headaches and you've got the aspirin. Don't try to sell feel good vitamins and all that stuff. It's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, a great way to a, a great analogy. Um,
0: okay, so my last question for you, because you know what, I know there's going to be quite a few uh, couples, married people, listening to this show, and uh, you know, I'm sure a few a few of these people are wondering about the dynamics of a husband wife team starting a business. Now, to, to give you background, I work with my wife in my business I have for over a decade, but when I met her. I met her because I had hired her as my VP of finance in my last company, and we'd worked together for a few years before that evolved into a relationship. So for us, it was work first. You guys had relationship first and now together have, have built a business. And it sounds like you have a good working relationship, um, but what was it like when you first started working together? And uh, you know, how would you describe dynamics, roles, and, and what advice would you give to other people considering starting something like this with a significant other?
2: <laughs> well... Uh... <laughs> Should I say don't do it? No, No, (laughs) (laughs) Um, no. seriously, um, it it has been good and bad. Um, You know, Shane and I are very different individuals. Um, He is a very, like, extroverted individual. I'm very introverted. Um, You know, I'm good with, like, details and figuring things out. He's better at, like, ideas and um, Making
1: things start.
2: Yeah, he, he's a good starter. I'm a good finisher, so <laughs> it works out actually really well. Yeah, um, for us. You know, there are times that it can be a little bit stressful. Like when we get stressed, both of us deal with it in different ways that get on each other's nerves (laughs) a lot. (laughs) So, uh, you know, that part is definitely hard. But honestly, I mean, I have to say that I would never be here if we weren't working together because at although sometimes we bring out the worst in each other, most of the time we bring out the best. So um, I would say, you know, it's not going to be easy. No, but it's possible. And the good outweighs the bad for me.
1: Yeah, big time. Like, I, like, it's really it's very rewarding to work with your spouse. It's also very challenging, like just total transparency. Like yesterday, we had a massive disagreement in the morning. OK, and and we were just like we dropped the kids off at school. We go to the, we always take our kids to school together every morning. Like we all go as a family. And then we can And on the way back, we were talking about something that was really important. And we just really disagreed. And it just kind of derailed the whole day. Like, we did not do, do anything <laughs> yesterday productive because we could not come to an agreement. But, yeah. like, we have systems in place, like, you know, to get uh, to, to figure out how to work through stuff like that. So this morning we kind of worked through it. We figured it out. And now we got right back on track. And that's the biggest thing that we try to put in place uh, when you're working with sp- your spouse is – You have to know what you're both good at and you have to assign those tasks to the person who's good at them. Yeah. And you have to let them go. That's the first thing. Uh, Number two, you have to have clear expectations at all times. Like, like this goes beyond communications. This is like you have to you have to predict what the other how the other person is going to react. You have to have something in place to fix problems, Mm -hmm. because if if you don't, then you're going to get derailed. And, you know, you can't be derailed for long because the business won't be able to make it. And, uh, number three, you have to just be patient. Like it's you're together twenty four hours a day. Our desks literally face each other, okay <laughs> And then we pick up our kids together. We go to school together. We take them to events together. We go to church together. We you know you're with your spouse. And really, we enjoy that because that's the way it should be, we think. And you just have to be ready for when there are problems and not sugarcoat it like everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Because you got to make it fine. Every everything is a verb in your relationship going forward. When you are married and have a business together, you have to be intentional if you're going to make it work.
0: And so so one more question in the same vein, when you're uh, do you have sort of. Work time and non work time because I know when you have your own when <laughs> yeah. you have your own business it just it can be all consuming and if you're both in it there's never one to say hey yeah. turn it off now it's time for family yeah, yeah. you
2: know we we do uh, in theory but even <laughs> when it's like non work times for us we always talk about work but it's because we love what we do so much yeah yeah. <laughs> And that, that's sort of the beauty of what we do. I mean, there are times that we do things with our children and like, you know, we, we do not use technology generally when the kids are home. We try to get all of our work done before they get home. But then we'll still find ourselves going back to, you know, we'll be just getting ready to go to bed and he'll be like, oh, what about so-and-so They're You know, they had this idea. What do you think about this? And, yeah. you know, it yeah. still always creeps back in. But um, I don't really think it's that much of a problem because, like I said, we we do just genuinely love what we do. Yeah.
1: If you block off times to like, like mentally, like you see it, like if we go back to our calendar, like we pretty much block off 10 to 2 Monday through Friday to work. Like that's when we're allowed to use our computers, basically for work. Okay, Uh, we try to work, you know, three to four hours a day. Some of that's lunch and some of it's just watch TV or something. But like, you know, we try to work in that three or four hour window. And then when the kids get off the bus, it's over. Mm -hmm. When the kids go to bed, we're going to do something else. Like now that might mean not hang out with each other. Like we like different TV shows and things like that. We it,
2: usually split up after the kids go to bed. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: like our alone time. You know what I'm saying? Go sure, to your corner. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I think if you block those, t- if you're very vigilant going back to that time, four years later, our time is still our most precious asset. Mm-hmm. And that's what we manage. We manage that ferociously because if you're not blocking those times off, you will work 10 hours a day and you will go 70 hours a week. And we don't want to do that. I don't want to scale infinitely. Like we just, we have a, we have, we just bought a house, uh, it's on 30 acres we bought a private lake like we, we've got all these things to enjoy mm-hmm. like why would we not go do the thing we've worked so hard to get here why would we spend 80 more hours a week to keep scaling like yeah. what are you scaling for like we can we get we get to hunt and fish and walk and hang out and do what we want to do and that's what's more important to us so that's what we prioritize and if you do that you won't work 90 hours a week mm-hmm. you'll work a few extra because you have to but you know what I mean
0: yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, just to highlight for the listeners, that's probably not what your first few years looked like.
2: No, definitely. Not. <laughs> oh, no, no. no, no <laughs> I mean, no, 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 the no, first no. couple of years, we worked basically two full-time jobs and we had babies. I mean, our children were 3 and 18 months. Yeah, like we worked
1: our Yeah, so the first mm-hmm. I'd say for the first 24 months that that's when we were in the grind, but then once we had uh, some success, we started looking at things going well, who can I hire to do this part of my job? Yep. Well, who can I, or what machine can I buy or program that will automate this part of my job? And as you start chink, chinking away at the time, you start scaling back. What most people make the mistake though is they go all Gary V on everybody and they start adding more things into the time they saved by hiring and automating. Mm-hmm. And we went the opposite. Every time we took an hour back because we automated something, we kept the hour for ourselves. Every time we hired someone to take 40 hours off of our plate, we took the 40 hours back for ourselves. Right. So that, that's the the danger there is, do you want more or do you want to be happy? And we chose, uh, happiness. And it all that. goes
2: back to what you want. I mean, some people might want that, but for us, that's not what we wanted.
0: Well, and I, you know, honestly, I think the majority of people don't want that. and, and, But there's this expectation that I'm starting a business. I just have to grow it, make it bigger, make it bigger, make it bigger. And I fell into that trap. I mean, at one point in my last company, I had 100 staff. I had an office in the US, an office in Canada. And then my son was born, and I looked around and went, God, I have no life. My health is
1: suffering. Uh, What's the point? Right. Yeah. Um, Uh, We say that all the time that uh, it's like, it's almost like making millions and saving for retirement and all that. We say that uh, we don't want to wait till the end of our life to enjoy our life yeah because we might not be here yeah so you know what we've got the time i've got 160 hours eight hours this week i know i've got 24 more maybe so let's take advantage of what we got and not prioritize things that don't matter fantastic
0: fantastic now as we wrap up um for all of our listeners that want to connect with you uh learn more about you where do they go
2: You can find us on Flipped Lifestyle, that's F-L-I-P-P-E-D, FlippedLifestyle.com. We also have the Flipped Lifestyle podcast. We'd love to have you uh, take a listen. We talk to our community members each week and answer some online business questions for them. Um, We're on Twitter at FlippedLS.
1: And Facebook is the main place that we kind of hang out. So if you want to go to Facebook.com slash Flipped Lifestyle, that's kind of the main thing we check every day. So.
0: Fantastic. Well, guys, I, I want to thank you so much. I think you guys are an inspiration. And, and not only are you guys an inspiration, um, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people. I think you have a very uh, – you guys have a gift for for explaining, um, taking what a lot of people consider, you know, complex things and breaking it down and very easy to understand uh for the average person to, to to use so um you know i talked to lots of entrepreneurs and they may be very good technically but be damned if they could explain it to the rest of the world so right. <laughs> uh so yeah you know you guys are awesome an inspiration and thank you so much for being here today
2: no, thank you for having us. It was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, man. We're just a couple Kentucky kids trying to change the world, baby. So uh, th- <laughs> Love th- it. Th- thanks for letting us uh, find a few more earlobes and a couple more eyeballs. Cool. All right. Well,
0: everyone that was uh, Shane and Jocelyn Sams. And as always, any of the links that were mentioned in the interview, uh, we will include those in the show notes along with the entire transcript of this episode. And as always, you will find that at entrepreneur com forward slash podcast. And, uh, While you're there, uh, make sure you subscribe if you're on iTunes uh, or Apple device. You know where it is. It's iTunes. If you're on Android device, you'll find me on SoundCloud. And uh, while you're there, if you like what you heard, leave us a rating, leave me a review. Uh, Guys, that's the fuel that gives me the momentum, that motivation to continue making this the uh, best info pack podcast for digital entrepreneurs. And uh, so now it's time to uh, take all the tools, tips, strategies that uh, Shane and Jocelyn shared with us here today and apply the ingredient that's actually going to make them work for you. And that ingredient is action. So go forth, take action, apply what you've learned, and stay tuned for more info-packed episodes of the Entrepreneur Ignited podcast. This is your host, Derek Gale, signing off.
1: Thanks for listening to another info packed episode of the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast with Derek Gale.
0: For links to all of the resources plus an entire transcript of this episode, go to EntrepreneurIgnited.com slash podcast.
1: Make sure you never miss another episode.
0: Subscribe now
1: on iTunes or SoundCloud.